It has been a season of controversy and collisions, strategy and sprints, winners and losers. And that was just the final race weekend in Abu Dhabi. But the 2021 Formula One season has finally drawn to a close and we have our champion, Max Verstappen. And Mercedes are the team champions, but no one's really been talking about that. Welcome to episode 163 of the F1 Grid Talk podcast. Today we're here to review all the action from the incredible 2021 Formula One season. My name is Ruby Price and joining me today we have Carl King from the Monkey Seat podcast. Hello. Hello. Uh, Tom Horrocks also from the Monkey Seat podcast. Hiya. Taking over. It's like an invasion. And Aaron Harper from the Five Red Lights podcast. Hiya. Hello. Firstly, if you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you could take five to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll shout out all of you who do to say thanks. Secondly, just to announce that this will be the last episode of this podcast for the year, we wish you a happy holidays and look forward to seeing you back in the new year. So, Tom, for the first time since 2008, the team to win the the Constructors' Championship did not win the Drivers' Championship. And whilst Mercedes will be proud of their feats this season, there's also that bittersweet element about not winning both together. Yeah, I think they, they always say about how the the teams want the Constructors' Championship more than the Drivers. And that may well be the party line. And that's where obviously where a lot of the money comes from. But uh, I think we've just proven with the way that Toto Wolff was, was behaving that that is absolutely not the case. The, the glory is all attached to the Drivers' Championship. And that's the visible element. That's what the public sees. And as you said there, I mean, who remembers the Constructors' Championship? You look back to when Benetton won in, in 95, I believe, not in 94, but no one remembers that. They just remember the two championships for Benetton. And it's the same thing with McLaren in 2008 and in 1999. You never remember who who doesn't win the championship. You just remember who the driver's champion is. And I remember being uh, watching a few videos in the past and them saying about how Ferrari haven't won a championship since 2008. I'm like, no, it's 2007. And then realising, oh, wait, no, the Constructors' Championship. So, it's yeah, it's absolutely not the uh, it's, it's not the big ticket that the team's tried to claim that it is. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely, it's the, it's the consolation prize it's the silver medal it's it's not of any consequence to them in reality really apart from the financial gains yeah and Aaron it came down to the last race of the season in terms of both championships but sticking with the constructors championship for the minute you know this is the first time really in a long time it's taken this long to for Mercedes to secure that championship you know firstly you know was it I mean it was obviously great that it went down to the last race of the season but you know is that what's kind of kept this season alive, regardless of the drivers' constructors' championship battle? Yeah, it has. It's added an extra layer of spice to what has been brewing in the drivers' the battle because you had the two lead drivers in Max and Lewis going toe to toe in the drivers' standings, but you also had the two teams having to keep on their A game at every race, deliver with two cars, not just one car. Because how often do we see? one team sacrifice one driver for the benefit of their their lead driver. Think Massa and Alonso in 2012. Massa was taking gearbox penalties and engine penalties to get Alonso on specific parts of the grid or blocking off Weber and all, all sorts. But because they knew, they knew they had no chance of winning the Constructors Crown, they were sort of putting all their eggs in one basket. And what's super impressive is you've had four drivers be able to deliver at different points in the season. So Checo picked up a win, Valtteri picked up a win. Obviously, Max and Lewis were running the show. But Checo was a very able deputy when he needed to be for, for Max. 
Bottas, not quite on his A game all year, but he showed again those flashes of speed. And the, the teams, in terms of strategy and pit stops, we saw the pressure take its toll, but we also saw them perform minor miracles with two-second pit stops at Red Bull and Mercedes smashing strategies, left, right and centre, you know, Lewis taking 25 positions in Brazil. How on earth they manage that, even with the fastest car? It's, it's just madness. And the fact that you've had them go all the way through 22 races in the midst of a pandemic after a shortened season last year, that those mechanics and engineers, they must be getting back this morning and going, thank Christ I'm home because <laughs> I am exhausted. You know, it's, it's tiring just being a fan, but imagine traveling all that way, all those hours on a plane, which would terrify me. Yeah, it must be so grueling. So hats off to them. Yeah, absolutely. Hats off. And Carl, we've got to talk about it. The Drivers' Championship, was also settled, which you, well, I say it's also settled. You know, there's definite talk of appeals and court challenges and everything going on. But for now, and hopefully for, you know, the foreseeable, Max Verstappen is the 2021 Drivers' World Champion. You know, firstly, just, you know, sum up how it came to that. And then is this what you think was right? You know, without going on about what happened at the end <laughs> I'm i think it's been you... said to death it's been said to death no one cares anymore maybe i'm surprised you said max max as the winner without crying in the corner um <laughs> I, can, I can be objective <laughs> when i need to be <laughs> when you need to be and other times um yeah i mean was max the deserved winner i, I mean the race the season was amazing with the two you know it was a fight off from the very beginning and the retirements and the way that it all played out anyway. And the fact that we ended up both on the same score at the very end was just Liberty's mathematical genius. But it's a really, it was a season of highs and lows for both of them. And they were, I mean, there was a fact that Damon Hill came out with that was, if you took them from both to New, if Mount's distance was between London and New York and you sent them both off at the same time with the times in the race, there'd be nine seconds apart at the very end. I didn't know who was the winner. Um, but So obviously, I can't work out whether they've got both matching cars or both amazing races. I think slightly it changed throughout the season. I think Red Bull started with a better car than, than Mercedes and it swapped over. And I think Max had a bit more, Hamilton had a bit more in him than at the end of the season. He sort of slightly, in my mind, sort of didn't have as much. I think he was tired by it. You know, I think the only problem with having Max here is that Hamilton's not going to be as excitable as he was and as strong. And he's getting old, he's getting tired. You can almost see it now. He's always fed up by it. And I think Max has been, is the young whippersnapper. And it's almost like the old dog with the young puppy. He'll get fed up with it. He'll take so much and then he'll bite. And unfortunately, Hamilton did try and bite at the end. Fortunately, I think, unfortunately, didn't happen for him. But the highlight that, that I want to say is neither Max nor Lewis did anything wrong on this and on any of the races to be honest throughout the season they fought gallantly and were racing and i don't think and i might be very wrong i don't think either of them were dick of the days from the monkey seat at all throughout the season and i think that he's that it was just an amazing season i whether max should have won it i can't decide hamilton probably in my mind should have won this season but max gave it a good try and i don't blame him and red bull and 
Mercedes gave it a good try. Visual response from Tom there, just being a bit, wow. I'm in shock, Carl. You do nothing but criticise Hamilton on the monkey seat, and here you are saying he should have won. I'm genuinely in shock. <laughs> yeah, but I have to wind you up. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be no fun otherwise. Yeah, I mean, very good points there, Carl. Obviously, you know, across the season, they've both been each other's match. And, you know, when one was first, usually the other one was second. Most of the time separated by a matter of seconds. Very rarely by, you know, 30 or so. It did happen. You know, there was Portugal, there was the two Austria races. But either way, yeah. So let's move on to the highlights of 2021. So, Tom, first of all, what was your biggest highlight of this season? Well, there's, there's a huge amount of highlights, but I think uh, there's, there's, there's a few things really from uh, the absolute just shock of Paul Ricard actually being good. And then Carlos Sainz shocking everyone and, and actually owning Charles Leclerc over the course of the season. But given the hoodie I'm wearing, I can't possibly say anything except for the McLaren pole position and the McLaren victory. Yeah, I had a feeling that team might get mentioned. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Aaron, how about yourself? The biggest highlight that you could think of? We will obviously come back to more highlights, but, you know, let's keep it going around. There's there's so many. Usually in a season, you've got two or three real standout races to choose from. But this year, we've got about 18 because just so much happened and they're all stand out for so many different reasons. I'm actually going to go all the way back to the the very beginning. I'm going to go with Bahrain because it it set the tone and it might have got a bit nasty and a bit edgy at times on and off the track, but that race was probably the first time we've seen Max and Lewis go properly into combat, equal cars, strategy playing a part and there was a little bit of controversy thrown in. They just set the whole season up. It was, and if you, if you want to see like a glimpse into the future and you're starting there, it's perfect. It gives you everything you're going to get for the rest of the season. And the fact that they've crossed the line one and two in a certain order, it, I think that's probably the, st- the standout moment because that's where it all started. And it just it just carried on from there exponentially. Yeah, that was certainly you know a good setup for the season that we got. Right, moving on. Carl, a highlight from you, please. The highlights. You started off with saying the most memorable there. And I'm going to go, because I'm crazy like this, I'm going to go with Spa because it was the race that wasn't. And it was crazily memorable. Yeah, okay, Aaron, your head's in your hands. I can see you. I can see you. But it's the race that wasn't. And it was the race that that kept on giving. It gave, it gave the old Englishman of George Russell... And got Williams out of the trench that they were in and got them above Haas and Alfa Romeo. And that's only going to be a good thing, surely. So for the sake of that, my most memorable race was the race that wasn't a Belgium. Lots of strange things have happened that shouldn't have, such as Daniel Ricciardo getting a first, Ocon getting a first. You know, there's things that shouldn't have happened that did. And it, it was a, and the fact that we had that race, the fact that it ended as it did, you know, it's just been one of those seasons that's just been crazy. Yeah, I completely agree, you know. And as you say, like, it just pointed out that things this season just weren't going to follow the script, you know. George Russell on the podium, a race that didn't happen, all of that. It just set the tone for the rest of the season, I think, as well. Like, that's what a lot of these highlights have been, you know, just 
this season was forecast in pretty much every single race weekend. But yeah, no, Tom. It was another... it was nothing but consistent. I give you that. Apart from the stewarding, but yeah. No, that was consistently consistent. rubbish. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Tom, uh, another highlight from you? Doesn't have to be the most memorable now, but, you know, a highlight of the season. Oh, I kind of snuck in three before thinking that's all you'd asked me for. So you're kind of putting me on the spot now for another highlight, really. I guess probably the fact that coming to the finale and, you know, we, we came out of Saudi Arabia and we were we we saw what Max Verstappen could potentially be capable of. And we could see that this going into the final race, it could be another Imola, not Imola, sorry. It could be another Japan 1989, 1990, all that kind of stuff. Um, but as it turned out, the pair of them, you know, they they showed absolute class both on and off track over the weekend. And it showed that, you know, Widow Twanky and Buttons in charge of their teams are the ones that are going to get all the headlines and not the drivers for actually doing what they were paid to do and do what they do best, which was go on track, leave nothing on the table. And both of them can be proud with the way that they've conducted themselves in the final race of the season. Yeah, I completely agree with that, you know. A lot of the headlines have been, you know, oh, why is Hamilton complaining about this? When really, it's the teams that have, you know, caused these headlines to even show up. And I don't think we're going to, I think everyone knows we're not going to hear the end of this for a while. But as you say, both drivers did it all on track. And that's the thing that we should really be remembering from this race weekend. Aaron, moving on to you. Another highlight, please. I'm just going to go with Lando Norris in general. He's been a breath of fresh air. He was. That the first two thirds of the season before luck completely deserted him, he was just unbelievably good, so consistent. There are there are a lot of things that are sad about the way this Formula One season has finished, and amongst them is the fact that Lando hasn't won a race. And considering how supremely he's trounced Ricardo, who is a highly regarded driver, and the fact that he's Okay, the the car is difficult to drive at times, but Lando's got on top of it and made it work. But the fact that he's the one who's ended up without a victory is kind of sad because there were so many chances where he could have been the beneficiary of a Max and Lewis collision. And to be fair, Ricardo kind of was, even though he didn't have the track position at the time. But for Lando to have missed out on a on a win, especially in the way that he did in Russia, was it was just heart wrenching. So he can take so much heart from this season, though. And it, if McLaren are the team that pull out the worldy car for 2022, put some money on Lando Norris to be world champion because the boy's got it. The speed's there. The experience is coming. If the car's right, he could become the youngest ever world champion. Yeah, I completely agree. Lando Norris has been absolutely fantastic for, you know, two thirds of the season, as you say, luck sort of abandoned him after everything sort of fell apart in Russia. But seeing him up there fighting, even fighting on pace with sometimes the front two teams compared to where McLaren were a couple of seasons ago no one would have expected that obviously McLaren finished third last season in the championship and this season fourth but that was mostly because they finished ahead of the rest of the midfield this season I feel like they would have deserved third if they'd got it because they were fighting with the top two as opposed to just finishing ahead of who was behind them wasn't sure if you'd have anything more else to say there but sorry I didn't know you was coming back to me (laughs) It's all right. Anyway, yeah, Carl, moving on to you again. Another highlight, please. Um, Probably the Italian Grand Prix. And not because of the reasons of Max and Lewis having a little tete-a-tete or the fact that Ricardo 
came first. No, because we ended up with Robert Kubica kicking Mezpen out of having a, a full-time driver out of being last. He actually managed to, uh, fair play on him, coming in into a car that, you know, must be unruly to drive that car at the moment. And Kubica, you know, he's not the strongest driver I've ever seen. And fair play on him. I mean, he's no Hulk, but... Uh, I mean, he obviously came in the race beforehand. He, I'm only saying the Italian because of the 14th there. But yeah, so um, that's probably... But I think, yeah, it, probably him coming in and just trouncing Mazepin just made me laugh too much. Yeah, I would definitely consider that a highlight. You know, it was great seeing Robert Kubica, you know, get another chance in the sport because obviously, you know, it's a shame that he came back the two times driving in the worst car on the grid in both times that he did it. But, you know, to do that, and still be able to, you know, like you say, end up in 14th, you know, that just shows that we have truly missed out on what could have been with Robert Kubica. And, uh, you know, it's a shame that everything happened, happened. But, <laughs> yeah. Tom, one more round of highlights from you and the rest of the team, please. Okay, well, I'll I'll go with Red Bull finally Finally, starting a season strongly. That's the. Uh, it's been the crux of their their title challenges over the last five years. They've just never been able to start a season with a car that's capable of of challenging for a championship or you know winning winning the odd race here and there. Fine, but they always come on strong at the end of the season. Whereas this year they've kind of done things a lot more like the Mercedes. They've started strong. They developed well. And they've they've stayed strong throughout the whole season, and uh, I think a lot of it is down to the regulation carryover and the fact that they they couldn't start from a fresh sheet of paper, which kind of gives me a little bit of concerns for them for next season. But actually, starting the season strong has completely energised this title battle and kept it you know kept it going from the from the beginning because it, it could have gone the way of 2017 where Ferrari very much looked like they had the quickest car, but they kept messing up. And the first four or five races went to Mercedes, despite Ferrari having a better car. Then they came on strong in the mid part of the season and then fell away at the end. And then in the end, it was an easy Mercedes championship when, on balance, Ferrari probably had the best car. But I think I'm actually confusing that with 2019, not 2017. But either way, the point still stands. But the fact that they actually, although they did lose out in the early part of the season to Mercedes when they should have had two or three wins on the uh, on the board very early on when they just had the one. But they fought back. They still had the best car for quite a long period of the season. Season. I'd say it was about 50-50 in the end and they, uh, and they came on strong and managed to win races that perhaps they shouldn't have done as well as leading from the front. So that's my, my final highlight. Yeah, absolutely. Like having that championship fight from the very start is what allowed them to, you know, believe that they actually could do it because obviously, you know, the last couple of seasons we've seen a very strong Red Bull car, but we haven't seen it in the first half of the season. We've tended to see it, you know, at specific tracks but never from the get-go. And obviously by having that, you know, it gives your team like, hang on a sec, we, we, we should hang on to this. We need to actually keep going with this. But yeah, absolutely. Red Bull being able to ch- challenge from the start of the season. Aaron, you please. Uh, the incredible meme of Lewis Hamilton starting, restarting the race on his own while everyone else is in the pit lane. Just in 2021 was the season that just kept on giving. If it hadn't happened before, it happened this year. Restarting a race with one car on the grid while everyone else was in the pit lane. And for good measure, the car on the grid was on the wrong tyres. But it was also the fastest car. It, it was just... It, 
as a Lewis fan, it was like, what on earth is going on? But as a neutral, like as a Formula One fan, you're like, this is just bonkers. This is just the most incredible thing you could ever see. But it just it, it always makes me laugh when I see it. The picture or the, the video of it. It just <laughs> it makes me giggle. It just stands out. It was on as a Lewis fan, seeing him being the only car to go to the grid was gutting. But, you know, like you say, as a neutral, like you just knew all of a sudden that that race, even with all the crashes that had happened at the start, that race was going to be something that like one driver on the grid was going to have something special. It ended up being Ocon. It could have been Vettel, but we know what happened there. But either way, Lewis Hamilton starting on his own on the grid. That, that is a highlight of 2021. The, the only thing it was missing was probably some commentary from Murray Walker. He would have been brilliant. It would have been absolutely fantastic hearing him over that. Yeah, I 100% agree. Carl, coming to you for the last highlight of 2021. We've just spoken about him, sort of touched him on that. I think Vettel this year has just become the gentleman driver. Really top bloke and just seems to be aggressive still on that track. I mean, he was overtake champion, whatever that if that means, because it's a figment of everyone's imagination, I'm sure. You're rubbish enough to be at the back of the grid to then take everyone over. Makes no sense. But yeah, I think he was, I think, I don't know. He just doesn't, he seems like, he seems like the dad of the pack now. And I generally think that he just is showing the way, A, with his green credentials at, the, at um, Silverstone, obviously, and also his uh, T-shirt at uh, Abu Dhabi with all the signed girls from the women's football team, I think. So, but he just seems to be supporting Mick Schumacher. He seems to be supporting the team. And it just feels like, I don't know whether he just, he seems a lot happier in that team now compared to Ferrari last year. And whether that was the right choice, who knows? But we'll we'll see in a few years' time as to how he goes. But I think he's a really, I think it was nice to see him caring and enjoying racing again. Yeah, 100% agree. And as someone who, you know, I was never a Vettel fan because every season that he was, you know, fighting for a championship, I was always supporting the other driver. But, you know, this last season has really, like, changed my views on Sebastian Vettel, you know, seeing that he's a decent human being and God knows this sport is lacking in those. But, yeah, just, you know, him being there with Lewis, taking the knee at the start of every race wearing his t-shirts and stuff which he got reprimanded for in some cases because he was prepared to stand by his values and I'm going to swoop in with a highlight which relates to this just seeing you know two of the drivers on the grid being you know having that platform to express themselves you know across the season you know taking a stand for what they believe in I obviously didn't I wasn't here for you know Jeddah or Qatar but, you know, Lewis Hamilton having the progressive pride flag on his helmet in three countries where, you know, if you were someone who liked someone of the same sex, you could potentially be um, incarcerated and so on. Just having that, you know, platform, as much as it, it would have made me happier to not be in those countries, you know, the fact that Lewis and Seb and other drivers as well we're prepared to, you know, take that stand. And I think that's probably what I'm going to take most from this season. 
personally, as a fan. Right, let's uh, move on to look at the team's fortunes of the 2021 season. And we're going to shake up the order a bit compared to the way that we normally do this show. We're going to start at the back with a team that I think everyone sort of predicted would finish where they did, even going into preseason when they said, we're just going to use last year's car with a new paint job. So, Tom, start me off. What happened to Haas in 2021? Well, they exceeded all my expectations because they actually won something. They became they finished top of the league of the retirements. They had eight retirements over the course of the season, which was more than any other team, which is actually quite... When you think about 22 races and two cars in each race, well, not always two cars in each race, but, you know, we'll... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll come on to that. I'm sure later on. But uh, but yeah, to only to only have eight retirements out of 44 starts for that car, given how tough it was to drive and the lack of talent behind the wheel, that's uh, that's a pretty decent return for them. So that's uh, <laughs> that that's a win for me. That's the closest thing they're going to get to a win because they were never going to get points start the season for Mazepin to be coming out saying that he wants to push for Q2 performances. It's <laughs> come on. No, no chance. I mean, Mick managed to squeeze in a couple of times due to, you know, due to craziness happening, but it was never going to happen. They were never going to get points. So, yeah, they finished exactly where we expected. And, uh, yeah, it was, you know, three points less than last year from their total of three. So, <laughs> hey-ho, move on. We'll see what they can do next year. Probably slightly better than what they did this year. Maybe they'll get a point. I mean, the fact is as well, when you compare where their car was this season, which is where the car was last season, you know, at least they're getting a new car this time around, which, you know, you'd think should make a difference. Or maybe, you know, Daddy Mazepin will, you know, try and slip some money to still use the same car again next time around. We don't know. 2022 is still to come. But yeah, Aaron, moving on to you, still staying on Haas. You know, obviously two rookies in the car this season. You know, have there been any like moments really where either of them have said something to you where it's like, yeah, this this driver very much deserves a seat in F1, which, you know, as a rookie. Um, Mick Schumacher has delivered on a couple of occasions and you know, the car is or has been an absolute dog. Mick dragging that car into Q2 on a couple of occasions, even though he uh, on, one, on one of them, he, he used the Charles Leclerc tactic. Um, of bringing out the red flags to do it but he did get into q2 on merit at another race i can't remember which one it was so you can't say fairer than that it's probably actually doing better than the car or he's really capable of in such difficult equipment it's hard to say whether you know they've really shown what they are capable of and i speak for mazapin on that as well because as much as he has his flaws and they are many and large and very in your face there is some form of capable driver in there because these things are difficult to drive how deep that talent goes is highly questionable but with mick he's certainly shown that there's enough there that given some time given experience and opportunity i'm not saying he'll become a world champion like his dad but there's certainly a potential race winner in there he the way he conducts himself the way he has dealt with all of the challenges thrown out in this season and don't forget he's still got this horrendous personal situation which obviously we we, we saw him shed some light on in the, in the documentary you know how, how can you drive a car with ultimate focus when anyone that you know and care about let alone your dad 
is in the condition that, that Michael's in. That, it's just incredible. So, you know, the, the mental capacity to be able to, to do that and to focus on his training has to be applauded. And, you know, I think that speaks volumes for his character and his potential in the future. Yeah, I completely agree. Carl, let's move on to the Alfa Romeos. Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi both driving their last race at the weekend, but, you know, finishing ninth in the championship, you know, this was a team that a couple of seasons ago had, you know, the likes of Charles Leclerc in it, you know, fighting for points on a regular basis. And this time they finished, you know, ninth behind, I think it's possibly their lowest finish for a couple of seasons. Or that might have been, I don't know. But either way, you know, what happened across the season with Alfa Romeo? What happened is Kimi doesn't care and just wants to get out of there as soon as possible. And Giovinazzi drives like a madman trying to secure his seat and can't. They're just, the whole thing just, I don't know, are they doing a hass and going, oh, we'll worry about it next year? Was Ferrari's engine screwing them up? But they didn't have that many retirements of which, you know, they weren't retiring. So they were always in the battle. So it's not as if there was failures of their vehicle. They finished eighth as their highest, which obviously gave them a few points. I mean, it, there's always going to be bottom teams. And at the moment, Alfa Romeo, can they change the names? There's too many Alphas in this place. Alfa Romeo are just going to be the, the team that we're all going to look at and just go, if they if Haas went there, we'd all be laughing at them like we did. you know. And two drivers that one didn't care, one was driving like a madman a lot of the time. And I just didn't think they were anything exciting. I don't think they've got an exciting car. It is quite funny that the two in the bottom are the Ferraris. But, you know, that seems to be the way way of the world. Yeah, I agree. Tom, uh, staying with Alfa Romeo, obviously, both drivers, you know, one of which was driving for their, you know, future career, one of which was driving to end their career. Was there anything at all during the season that sort of like hinted that maybe Gio would stay or, you know, Kimi might actually start giving a shit who knows uh it's it's just the most vanilla team in in the grid and more so than Haas at least Haas have got something you can talk about I find it easier to talk about Haas than I do talking about Alfa Romeo but I think um you know it's the drivers were underperforming the um the team were underperforming operationally they were pretty horrendous and the, the drivers can't really perform to their best when the team are performing so under par and it, it sounds really harsh to say that because Sauber in the past have uh, have put together some really good some really good cars and and masterminded some great positions yeah they're in for a championship in the BMW phase at one point as well so the, the team's got pedigree and they've and they you know that they they're a, they're an experienced team but they just they just couldn't they just couldn't put it together over a full weekend and whenever the opportunities came about where were they? They were the ones at the back on the wrong tyre, or they were the ones that had just binned it in the wall by, you know, for a stupid first corner incident or something. They just, whenever there was craziness, they were never there to pick up the points. And, you know, that's why Williams, which we'll talk about next, I'm sure, um, ended up where they were. And, and, and that's why other teams were, were able to push on above where they would normally be fighting. But, Alfa Romeo were just never in that battle, and and I think you know we can blame we can blame the drivers all we want, but the team has got equal responsibility to pay for that as well. They've got great pedigree, one of the oldest you wouldn't think it, but one of the oldest teams still existing in Formula One because because they've been a, a mainstay while other teams have dropped in and dropped out, and it's just a shame to see it. It's why I get quite passionately 
upset about how bad Alfa Romeo are because they it's just sad to see a team that's had you know brought people like Kimi Räikkönen into the sport and brought Mercedes back into the sport as well you know Mercedes wouldn't be here if it weren't for Salva so it's it's just a shame to see them so far down the order and just just with no hope of of doing anything and I just really hope they just have a have a bit more about them next year I had a bit of hope with the Andretti deal but that went by the wayside and then they end up signing you know um, Bottas and Joe, so <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, that's all I've got to say on that, really. <laughs> We're going to end up with uh, more vanilla next season, it sounds like. But yeah, Aaron, um, Tom touched on it briefly. Williams, P8 this season. They've got points, you know. Hell, one of them got a podium, supposedly, in a race that didn't happen. But either way, they don't care. They have finally got points for the first time in ages. Tell me about Williams this season. It's such a, it's such a great feeling for Williams to be off the bottom of the table. Although they were the strongest team for the last two years because they were holding everybody else up. You know they can't claim that anymore. But they have picked up a podium, whether you like it or not. You know a podium is a podium, and they they they, they awarded it. So, but George Russell to have in the first place stuck it on the front row was absolutely mind-boggling. And he was so close to actually putting it on pole position. The boy is something special. I cannot wait to see him in a Mercedes next season. And finally, he managed to deliver what his talent and the, the Williams team's hard work has deserved over the last sort of year and a half. With the points and regular Q2 appearances, it was actually a shock seeing him drop out in Q1 at times. But also, we should spare a mention for Nicholas Latifi because he's not just your average run-of-the-mill pay driver. The boy has got some talent. And yeah, okay, he had an unfortunate crash yesterday that is going to make some people think he's the bad guy. But Nicholas has done an excellent job this year. At times, he's been very close to George's pace. And in uh, a couple of occasions on the last few races, he's actually beaten George in regulation qualifying, which... Considering George's prowess in the Williams over one lap, which has been sensational, that, that's such an achievement for Nicholas. And his performances have got better and better over the season. He's picked up points as well. I feel like he's just a very reliable pair of hands. You can give him a midfield car and he will run it to a good standard and collect pretty much what it's supposed to get. You know, if it's supposed to get 12th on that day, he'll finish somewhere around there and he'll he doesn't get involved in silly accidents he doesn't start driving people off the road he's very sensible he delivers he's he does what he says on the tin basically so it's a really good pairing it's just a shame they didn't have a stronger package to really attack the points paying positions more often because i think they could have done some damage yeah i would completely agree with that assessment carl is there anything else that you have to add about williams's season this season because Aaron did cover quite a lot of the bases there yeah just left me i dry that um yeah i mean there's not much else to say i i mean it's interesting dollar light whatever they're called coming in there seems to be a monetary input somewhere and whether that a cash injection has helped they've obviously had the team restructure as well 
I remember that CEO got elbowed or someone or team, one of the top team got elbowed. And there's obviously been a bit of changes and a bit of movement. They're obviously not, they were never going to be anywhere high up. They do seem to have a bit more spunk in them compared to how they were before. They seem a bit more interesting as a team. I was just trying to do the maths as to whether Russell not got the the uh, second position, whether they would still be above Alpha. I was trying to work that one out because that sort of was another race. But Tom's nodding his head that it wouldn't. So that means they would have gone down to ninth. And we still want to talk about Williams more than we would want to talk about Alpha. So, you know, it's an, I think I'm hoping that they're going to come back up. I really, I think every Englishman, I know I'm in Ireland, but that's the nearest best I can do. Every Englishman would want a, would want Williams to do well. and. Even if they're not English, I think lots of people want that heritage to do well. Although, um, rest in peace, Frank and Claire has left. They are a team that have the heritage and the name behind them. That it'd be great, and they've got Mercedes engines. And yeah, I think they we could see them slowly in the next few seasons. I mean, this is all I keep saying at the moment is let's see what happens next season because they're going to have to do better with a new car. Uh, So who knows what's going to happen next season? Yeah, I think as long as, you know, the Williams name stays on the grid as well, you know, that has to be paramount, I think, for the legacy that that team has cemented. You know, it would be an absolute shame to ever see it drop off. And, you know, we obviously see it happen a lot with teams, you know, even looking at Alfa Romeo, who just talked about, you know, they are the Sauber team, but they're Alfa Romeo. You know, Williams, I think, always need to be Williams or, you know, something has gone wrong with this sport. But, Tom, let's move on to the uh, Aston Martin team. They'll be disappointed with, you know, where they've ended up finishing in terms of, you know, the constructors' standings because last season, I believe it was fifth that they ended up. It could have been four. It was actually fourth, I believe, because they was the whole battle with McLaren uh, for third and fourth, because uh, Ferrari are back in sixth. So no, they were. The, it's they're the biggest disappointment of the season for me. And yeah, if we think back to the start of the season, people were saying Aston Martin are looking good. Do you reckon they got a chance at the championship? I didn't have a lot of faith in the, the way that they were restructuring the team, and I thought that they're not going to. Rome doesn't get built in a day, and the, there were so many changes going on, and the fact that they were, you know, they they had a, a concept that they didn't understand that they couldn't develop, and then they had to do a carryover version of that. Um, I didn't have any real faith that they would be certainly in that third, fourth fight. And uh, on our podcast, I did predict that they were going to come sixth, and I was laughed at, I, I believe. And and in the end, they finished seventh, and it's just it's even they were even worse than I thought they were going to be, and and it's just such a shame. I mean, Vettel, I, I really want Vettel to to do well now. I mean, we've already covered, you know, what a great guy he is, and I really want him to do well. I'm not Lance Stroll's biggest fan, but you know, he's he's become a an average Formula One driver and he doesn't offend me by being on the, on the track like he used to. And he's, he's got better and he has learned and, but he's certainly not this greatest young talent in Formula One that Otmar Schaffner was saying he was because he had a gun to his head. And it's just, yeah, it, I want to see what that team can do when they're designing a car from scratch, because they've got a lot more budget. Now they've got a state of the art wind tunnel and factory being built and they, the, the future is bright for that team, but they've they've not designed their own car for a good few years now with a budget that they want or the, a budget that they that they can actually do what they want to do with so it's down to see what they can do with that budget now and it really is a red letter day from next year they need to get it right 
because if they don't, the pressure's going to be on. Lawrence Stroll doesn't suffer falls, and if they're not up there pushing top four, pushing for podiums and wins on a regular basis, then heads are going to fly. And then I, I fear for, for that team and the people within that team because the uh, it's effectively the Jordan team still. You know, a lot of people are still there from the Jordan days. And it'd be a real shame to see, you know, Lawrence Stroll get fed up and take his money elsewhere. And then that team's left, you know, in, in a really bad position. So it's, it's a huge disappointment for the season for them. They very clearly just turned off turned off um, development very early on, which is what I thought they should have done. I mean, their second half of the season was just woeful. I mean, I'm just looking at a sixth place, uh, sixth place in Qatar was their best result since Belgium, which doesn't count really. And then apart from that, Monaco was their best result. So it's just not been, not been a season to remember at all from them. So yeah, it's uh, again, as you say, it's, it's all about what, what happens next year. Now this, this kind of this holding year where some teams have pushed and other teams haven't has really shaken up the order. And it's really going to, going to be interesting to see what happens now you know, when we turn up at uh, pre-season testing in, uh, in Spain in uh, just a few months time. Yeah, Aaron, just staying on Aston Martin because Tom seems to have forgotten. Sebastian Vettel did actually get a certified podium that actually stuck in terms of, you know, Baku. It's just I, feel like we need, I feel like we should at least mention that. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, that's <laughs> one result. doesn't make a season. No, but, you know, you said the best result was in Monaco. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Okay. I'm just calling you out. <laughs> To be fair, I think Lawrence Stroll will be calling out a few of their their rivals for agreeing to the the floor regulations being changed. I'm surprised he didn't sit down and do a I'm very angry uh, interview like he did before. But they suffered the most from these technical adjustments rather than changes. I can't really define them as changes because they hit sort of a mini jackpot by copying the 2019 Mercedes design. But then when the rules were adjusted, they kind of got, they seemed to get stuck. They didn't know how to adjust for it in the way that was needed. And of course, the Mercedes team themselves were caught out a little bit as well by the change in regulation. The low rate philosophy in general was. So they suffered from that. And as Tom mentioned, they turned the taps off on development pretty early on. And they were just sort of hanging out as a green version of Haas who were just a little bit faster because they weren't developing the car. But that said, you know, Seb Vettel has done a great job PR-wise in terms of his ambassadorial role for the team. And that gives the brand a lot of positive exposure, which will mean basically as long as Seb's on board, if Aston Martin are doing well, they can bring in some some big-name sponsors. And, you know, Aston Martin's already a, a big enough brand on its own to bring in sponsors. But that power and that, sort of a claim which they call it on the, the F1 game that is really important for a, for a bloke like but like Lawrence Stroll and a company like Aston Martin having that gravitas and pulling power will be vital but that has to be supplemented by results on the track uh, and at, at times this season it was good but at times it was really poor so they were kind of here and then not there so it, it's, it's got to improve in 2022 and they've got an opportunity, clean slate, to get the jump on everybody else. And, you know, it could be world title number one for Lance Stroll. Yeah, they definitely need to improve on the car for next season, you know, because that team will consider seventh unacceptable. And you'd hope that any of the teams will consider seventh unacceptable. I mean, Haas might consider it, you know, number one, but either way. 
Carl, let's move on to the Alpha Tauris, who, you know, have certainly benefited from the drop-off in form from Aston Martin, finishing sixth in the championship. Tell me a little bit about, you know, Alpha Tauri season, you know, with the rookie Zenoda and an in-form Gasly, who's probably performing the best he's ever performed. It, I mean, it's a team of two opposites. Uh, you've got the tall and the short, the useless and the good. It's like Gasly is phenomenal. He's racing that car so well. He's getting points consistently. I think there's not many. I think there's one race, two races all season. He didn't score points, if I'm right. And then there's the little Japanese man who is just useless. And when he's so useless, he's getting tutored by Alex Albon. I, I feel sorry for Albon. I really do. That's all I can say is tutoring that man into trying to do anything. I'm, I'm gutted he also, that we, he, he started off so angry and his radios were hilarious and then they just dropped off as well. We all got bored with them or, he, or the Liberty got bored with them or he suddenly cleaned up his act. I think that generally was when Album came in. I mean, like, oh yeah, typical, typical in the way of a useless person. They finish fourth in the last race. Yeah, fourth above the teammate that's consistently done well. I don't. Everyone keeps questioning whether Gasly should go and be the red, go back to Red Bull. I don't think he should. He obviously didn't enjoy it there. He was rubbish there. He obviously enjoys being AlphaTauri, whether it's the the race, the style, the the car, the setup, the team management. I don't think there's anything to be gained from him going to Red Bull. I think he should stay at AlphaTauri. I'm gutted for them that they didn't come above the Alpines because I think they deserved it even with the little short man. But yeah, it. I just can't, yeah, I can't think of anything to say about here that Snowder, but Gasly keep on going, keep staying in that team. There's obviously something that they're doing right there. Um, they're getting these Red Bull engines next year that are the Honda engines. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that happen, what happens with that. But I think Gasly, I, I think Gasly should be looking for a new team next year if he can. I can't remember what his contracts says. Yeah. So Tom, let's stick on uh, AlphaTauri there. You know, Carl sort of implied it. If Sonoda had performed to the standard that we were expecting based on preseason testing, AlphaTauri would be in fifth right now, wouldn't they? Yeah, uh, th- that car. It, and Joe, I'm not going to place all the blame here on uh, on on Yuki Snowder's door because uh, he, he's a rookie coming to Formula One with an established teammate who's a race winner, and it's difficult to come up against that. And I think that AlphaTauri have got to take a big share in the blame. Gasly's made a few mistakes, but you know you you don't generally have a faultless season. Um, not even Hamilton and Verstappen had faultless seasons. So I think you look at it and. On average, over the course of the season, it was the fourth best car, in my opinion. There were times when that car was quicker than the Ferrari, it was quicker than the McLaren, quicker than both of them. It was always quicker than the Aston Martin, and uh, and more often than not ahead of the Alpine. And you've got the big paydays that the Alpine had have moved them ahead of them. And AlphaTauri had some great opportunities for to get some podiums, and and they just they just blew it. They just the team generally 
strategize their way out of a decent result. I mean, what was it we had a couple of weeks back? Um, Gasly up there in second, third place, and then ended up finishing out of the points, and literally nothing happened to him. That was the team strategy. They couldn't get the car working, and the pace dropped them out of the points altogether to score no points. And it wasn't the first time. You know, you look back to the first race of the season, and putting the pressure on Yuki Snow to try and qualify on into Q3 on mediums was just a was just a crazy thing to try and do to expect of the young lad and then he ends up crashing and qualifying because he's under pressure so it's and it started at the first race of the season it carried all the way through the season and I'm just glad that Sonoda seems to be getting it together now because he's he there's been shoots there's been shoots of recovery from him and it could be just another driver that goes through the Red Bull meat grinder and spat out and then into obscurity but uh, it, it looks like he's starting to recover from it now and hopefully next season he'll come on strong and be a bit of a match for Gasly and then we can see his career career go up from there but uh, it's, it's just a bit of a bad situation from, from AlphaTauri this season to be honest again similar to Alfa Romeo not operationally sharp enough in my opinion yeah there is certainly something to be said for the way that the Red Bull driver program has treated a lot of its prospects over the last you know six or seven years and I think really you know what Sonoda does need is just you know another season to get to grips well not He's had that. That is his. That was this season to get to grips with, you know, driving in Formula One at the standard that's expected. Now he's got to, you know, build on that in 2022 with a brand new car concept. But anyway, you know, we'll see what happens. Aaron, let's move on to the Alpines, who, you know, I think really no one really knew what to expect from them because they were bringing back Fernando Alonso, you know, who had been out of the sport for a couple of seasons. Uh, was not performing well at the start of the season. Ocon was surprising everyone. And then um, the role sort of switched once Ocon got that extra contract. And, you know, tell me, you know, give me something about, you know, what have you made of the Alpines this season? Well, I've I've been really confused by Alpine and I think they have been too because they've turned up and been slow and not known why they're slow. Then they've turned up and been quick and not understood why they're quick either. It's the worst situation to be in as an engineer of a, a racing team to not know why you're fast and not know why you're slow. The, the Abu Dhabi weekend was kind of their season in a nutshell. They were rapid Friday evening in practice two. Ocon was even second fastest between the two Mercedes cars. You know, where has this come from? Then come Saturday qualifying. They're ninth and eleventh because McLaren and Ferrari have either moved forward or Alpine have just gone backwards or just stayed still, which is basically going backwards in Formula One. So it's a strange one because for many of these teams, it it very quickly became a transitional season where they would probably just finish as high as they possibly could and scoop up a result where possible. And in Alpine's case, they hit the jackpot in Hungary. They were the ones who capitalised on Lewis sitting on his own on the grid. And, you know, they, they had their moments with Alonso in Qatar and you know, the, the radio comments of defend like a lion. And it, it made for some, some fun snippets. But in the grand scheme of things, their car wasn't as competitive as it was last year in the hands of Ricardo and Ocon. They've undergone this rebrand i mean how long before they do a honda and pull the team out again and it goes through another change of ownership and another name 
because I, the way it's being run at the moment, I can't see them progressing much further than this ceiling of third or fourth best team because Mercedes and Red Bull are just so far ahead that, and Alpine just can't seem to get their, themselves together, which is infuriating because they have good drivers and they have good people. Yeah, absolutely. It's a team that really, you know, should on paper be much higher than they have performed. But, you know, when it comes to practice, they haven't quite achieved that. But Carl, sticking with Alpine, they are the only team on the grid with the Renault power unit. Do you suppose, you know, the lack of, you know, that information you could get from the other teams that would be, you know, potentially running that power unit could have had any impact on where they finish this season? Or is it more the fact that no one wants their power unit, which is more it, you know, because if they did, I'm sure that uh, Haas would take it off their hands and even Alpha possibly, obviously subject to contracts and et cetera. But um, yeah, I think obviously having other, no, I think it's more trouble than it's worth having for, for Mercedes and for Honda. Well, Honda only has its sister team, so that's slightly different. Ferrari and Mercedes have obviously got their teams that they, they supply, but I don't think it's any. I think it's more Hassan's worth. I don't think there's any advantage to them being on their own. I think they can concentrate on their own engine. And let's be honest, it's not all about the engine anyway. It's about the the power unit. It's all about the aerodynamics. Sounding like Adrian Newey there, but yeah, it's. I think there's a lot more to it i think they've rebranded themselves and they probably had in my mind the prettiest looking car <laughs> on the track and getting alonso in was probably a touch of class and skill anyway just to bring the brand back and i think let's be honest with renault it's all about and alpine it's all about selling cars it's not about winning races too much i know that sounds ironic but it's definitely they wouldn't have rebranded it in any other way if it wasn't about getting the name out there and adding the names that they have got i'm glad ocon's staying i did worry that he'd be out of a race again i i know but i did think he might end up at mercedes at one point that was my tiny little bet but yeah i think the advantage with having a being a lone wolf in that game is probably more advantageous than giving all your trade secrets to everyone else yeah, that is certainly a fair comment. Tom, let's move on to the team that I bet you were hoping would come round to you. McLaren, obviously, finishing fourth in this championship season. Behind third, but, you know, they had one hell of a fight with Ferrari over this position. You know, going down to the last couple of race weekends, obviously not fighting for first, but, you know, it's been great seeing that you know, nostalgic contract battle this season, hasn't it? Yeah, I, I don't know what, you, what where you can possibly make that assumption from me. I'm completely neutral. I never, you know, I, I never show any bias towards anyone. It's been a good season for them. It's, um, they were massively handicapped at the start of the season with, you know, trying to shoehorn the Mercedes engine and having to use all their development tokens to to facilitate that. Um, however, that came, the whole development point system actually came about because of McLaren, because they were the only team that were changing engine, engine supplier. The FIA allowed them to make those changes, worked out how much that would take to do and then then created this development points process to then give everyone else the same opportunity to make changes because it was the only fair and right thing to do uh, but it does mean that McLaren whatever they started the season with was 
pretty much what they were going to finish with, barring minor aerodynamic changes, that they couldn't make any major changes to the car at all. And you know, to go as long as they did, and you know, after 17 races, they had scored more points than they had the previous season, which was a 17-race season, given that the season that they had was so good the previous year. And then, uh, obviously, the end of the season, uh, out of development, fully focused on 2022, like a lot of other teams. It's uh, it's no wonder they fell away. I think they, to be fair, I think they would have gone into the season targeting fourth, fifth, try and be in that fight for third. And I think they've the fact that they were so far ahead of everyone else and it was just always going to be a fight with them and Ferrari... I think that's probably played into their decision because their business model would have been based on finishing around fourth place. So the fact that they look pretty nailed on fourth very early on in the season, I think that's played into their into their strengths there. And they said, well, do you know what? Let's keep trying for third, obviously, but we're going to turn off development, fully focus on 22, and let's just see what we can do. And obviously Ferrari's power unit update they brought in, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, is massively beneficial. And McLaren have just had a, a slice, a couple of slices of bad luck as well along the way. And dare we mention Russia. It's good all round, but they've also paid the price there for Ricardo's inconsistency, I think, in, in my opinion. He's uh, Carlos Sainz in that car, and they may well have been in third place. I think they may have just had just enough to, to hold on to it, but uh, Ferrari definitely had the, uh, the the stronger package over the course of the season, so it's a, a hard-fought and deserved fourth place. Could have been more with a bit of luck, but, uh, you know, it's uh, you can't have everything. Yeah, absolutely. And Aaron, sticking with McLaren, we obviously have to talk about that race when they got in Italy you know it was something that you know they really wanted just to prove that they were still in the game after so many tactical missteps over the last five years you know to prove that they were still that race winning team and obviously you know it wasn't exactly handed to them but when the two people who really should be winning that race take each other out that it certainly came it fell into their hands it did. And when those opportunities present themselves, you have got to grab them with both hands and gobble it up. And exactly what they did is that they finished first and second in that race. Could you imagine if they allowed Daniel and Lando to battle for the win? If they'd made one of those silly mistakes where Lando sends one down the inside into the, the chicane. And I'm not saying that they would have collided, but you know, they, they did the smart thing. They made sure that they secured first and second, which was the best thing for the team. Obviously, they've got a pair of drivers who are very sensible. And that was, of course, their high moment. And they could have followed it up with a win in, in Sochi. And that was very cruelly taken away from by the weather. And, you know, just a little bit of, I would say, not naivety, but inexperience from their personnel in that situation. Because we have to remember this isn't the same McLaren that won so many world championships under Ron Dennis's stewardship. It's a much different place to go to work now. It's a much different vibe. And the access you get from McLaren is much different to how it would have been under Ron Dennis. So that all in perspective, what they're achieving is actually still arguably more than they should be considering where they were two or three years ago with the the whole Honda debacle and Renault power units and then the switch to Mercedes, which was a great move. You know, if they'd been stuck with the, the Renault power unit for this year, they might have not even managed fourth. So for McLaren, it, it's another step. Okay, it's a step down in the championship order, but it's actually a step forward because they've scored more points. They've got a race win. 
they've got more experience for these these technical personnel in terms of developing the car and understanding things and how they run the race team. And Lando is a star of the future. He's he's their man. They've put him on this big contract and they've hung their hat on him. And he's delivering. And like I said earlier, if you give him the car, he could be a world champion very, very quickly. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. Carl, uh, Ferrari, P3. Didn't think I'd be saying that based on last year's Ferrari performance, but, you know, that driver combination of Sainz and Leclerc, you know, everyone doubted Sainz when he said he was going to Ferrari because, you know, of Ferrari's performance last season. But, you know, where did you see this coming at the start of the season? Where has this come from, this P3 finish? Um, I think the drivers make it the, the man on this one. And I think both Sainz and Leclerc have raced impeccably. And they're a good team. I think Sainz is one of those people that seems to get on with everyone. He got on with Landon McLaren and now he's getting on with Leclerc here. Depends on how, which day it is of the week. But yeah, no, and, and that Ferrari seemed to be playing a team game. I, you know, it, there didn't seem to be that hostility within Ferrari that Vettel had last year, which it just felt like they didn't, I don't know why they didn't seem like Vettel or what wasn't gelling, but something gelled with this team. Two young drivers, and as Aaron was saying there, Lando is one of the future. Signs and Leclerc are equally in there. Possibly. Possibly more Leclerc. I love that Sainz whipped his ass though on this on the last race. And fair play in them. But um I think those three are the future, along with obviously Max, but those those four are the future of the sport. Uh, I can't imagine anyone else being in it in ten years' time, but those four I can see being in it ten years' time. But Ferraris, they just seem to gel, their cars seem to be great this year. And they seem to be finding somewhere. Except I don't know where all the Ferrari fans have gone. Uh, they seem to have left the paddock and left the supporters' lounge. Like they used to be the big voice. And I can't. I don't think I've ever. I don't think anyone on grid talk is a Ferrari fan. It's all orange these days. It seems orange of two different versions. Yeah, definitely. Uh, completely agree with that. And uh, Tom, you know. Carlos Sainz was a former McLaren driver. Just tell me, you know, as a McLaren fan, when you saw that announcement that he was leaving the team based on his performance last season, you know, how did that feel as a McLaren fan? Like, was it more like he's abandoning us? Was it more like, you know, he's making a mistake? Or was it like, oh, Ferrari might actually do something against us this season? Well, Carlos Sainz is a class act. Um, you know, he's uh, when he was he was at Toro Rosso. He showed a little bit of immaturity at Toro Rosso, and he, he drove Max Verstappen very close. Uh, still, you know, very very much uh, rookies in the sport. Had the foresight to get out of that Red Bull driver program and and go out on his own. It was obvious that he was never going to be in that Red Bull seat, similar to Pierre Gasly. And uh, so he he decided he wasn't going to sit there and let someone else control his destiny. He was going to get that on his own and uh, carve his own career uh, with the guidance of his father as well. And uh, and then his his time at Renault was a you know Renault's a tough team to drive for. It's, you know he struggled, Ricardo struggled at first. It, it just seems to seems like a bit of a poison chalice. Completely reinvented himself at McLaren and uh, absolutely adore Carlos Sainz as driver and yes I was gutted when he went to Ferrari but the fact that you know he said straight away when Ferrari 
made the initial approach. He went straight to McLaren and said, look, this approach has come in. I love you guys, but Ferrari's a dream. I really want to drive for them. And then so McLaren you know, knew about it and they started their conversation with Ricardo very early saying, look, if this happens, we would be interested in your services. And, and it's just the right way to go about things. And he just does things the right way, which is, um, which is why he's, he is still, even though he's in the red of Ferrari, he's still one of my favourite drivers. And you know, he's, he's got three podiums this season. Leclerc has only got the one and Leclerc is supposed to be the golden child and the, uh, you know, the, the future of Ferrari. And yet we still got you know, Kimi is still the last champion in a Ferrari. I think Carlos Sainz could be the next one. I genuinely do. And I, I think next season, Ferrari will be up there further. They'll be closer than what they are now. And I think it's going to be fireworks between those two. You saw what, you know, Vettel, when Vettel was still strong in that Ferrari, you saw what happened with him and Leclerc. I think Leclerc's a bit more mature now, but he does still make mistakes. I think Leclerc has probably got the, the overall, um, like he's got that, extra millimetre of pace in him over the course of a lap. But Carlos Sainz is he's just so mature and so wily. And, you know, I've called him Sunday Science for years because on a Sunday, he, he never gets driver of the day, yet he almost always is driver of the day. It's just, he unless he puts it in a wall, he's generally just outperforming the car moving forwards in the race 15th to 7th or you know 5th to 3rd or you know he, he just always does well in the races and uh, he's incredibly underrated so yeah I, I genuinely would not be upset to see him as a world champion in a Ferrari yeah and as some people as well seem to have forgotten P3 at the at the weekend yeah it, yeah it, crazy crazy everyone was so focused on what happened at the front and what happened in the sewers room that no one was talking about Carlos Sainz finishing P3. Yeah, I really need to rewatch that last lap of the race, but uh, without looking well, at Sonoda the front Well, Sonoda in fourth. Yeah, well, Sonoda was third going into the lap, I believe. I need to rewatch it. I think he was third going into the lap. So, uh, and it, it was, he passed him, I think. Who I knew Ricardo was seemingly behind? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, Aaron, the Red Bulls, you know, they'll be disappointed they didn't get the double championship, but at the end of the day, that was not really... They, they'd made it clear where their priorities were in terms of, you know, which championship they were going for in that last, you know, bunch of races. They would have liked to have obviously got first, but, you know, they accepted that Mercedes were arguably the better team this season. But, you know, P2 and a very strong P2 as well, as opposed to, you know, as Tom mentioned in the highlights of the season, P2 that came up at the end. Yeah, it was... A much stronger showing from Red Bull this season. No, that's obvious and that's easy to say. But like Tom mentioned earlier, they've struggled so much to get going in years gone by. But this year they flew out the blocks. They had pole position in Bahrain. They won the second race of the season. And arguably they should have won many more races than they did at the opening rounds. Then they rolled up at Austria and basically their their car is like heaven there. So they were always going to take back-to-back victories there. But it, it did seem to get away from them a little bit at times. They they showed a little bit of rustiness in terms of executing a championship battle. And I think at times they allowed themselves to get a bit carried away with things um, in terms of the media and the, what they were saying. That, you know, th- this season has had a lot going on and there's been a lot of things said you know both from Mercedes and from Red Bull but Red Bull they like to to get their 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 voices out there and 
and make themselves heard, which is fair enough. And, you know, sometimes if you shout loudest, you get what you want. But sometimes that detracted from what was actually happening on the track. And like with the, the finish yesterday, everyone was sort of looking at the stewards room because of what happened rather than looking at the performance that had happened on track and that Max won the championship. So for Red Bull to have pulled out a world championship against Mercedes in the Turbo Hybrid era, they will always have that as they were the only team to have done it in this sort of rule set. And I think that was their big ambition was to to take down the Goliath that they described Mercedes as, but they're, they're not, they're not a David that, that, that was the, the strange analogy that Christian Horner used because then they're, they're not a David, they're more of a Goliath's little brother um, going into the season. So they did have the best car. Let's, let's be honest. They had the best car because it, it worked everywhere. And Max showed that because he was the most consistent 18 podiums, a record, for a single season so for Red Bull I think they'll be delighted to have that championship but they've got to also remember that the big bucks are paid for by the constructors title so to have lost out in that in yes they took it down to the last race I think they should also be disappointed with that because you should go into the a season wanting to win both championships especially if you start the season with the fastest car yeah absolutely Carl, I'm just going to point at, you know, the number two driver for the team this season, you know, Sergio Perez, Red Bull bringing him in this season, you know, replacing Alex Albon. That was certainly the driver move of the season for, you know, over the summer, because more often than not, he was the better number two than the team that have won the season this season. Oh, good. Okay. I mean, thinking back this time last year, he didn't even have it drive or a race you know he had no seat at all so no amazing for him to come in Perez was phenomenal this season and a, and a, a great number two and played the number two role superbly took the win took the points where he could get them and wins where he could get them but definitely played the rule played the company game and but it was just a great driver and what he can do on tires it's beyond belief he's the only man that could be left out on those tires on the final race and still get around phenomenal drive and just an amazing person to to be uh, number two and yet so much better than the person that came number two or number three even that's the one yeah absolutely so let's look at, you know, the team that won the Drivers' Championship. Tom, I already spoke to you a little bit about Mercedes at the start, but, you know, they've done it. They've secured that, I think, seventh consecutive um, Drivers' title, or is it? Eighth. Eighth. Mm. Eighth. You know, that's how unthinkable it is. You know, they've managed to do it. You know, tell me a little bit about it. <laughs> well, yeah, they've beaten their own record of seven and then their own record of six consecutive. But no one-two finishes this year. McLaren were the only team to to get that feat. Just thought I'd drop that in there again. Uh, yeah, they. I mean, they started with the slower car and they still managed to get three races in the first four. Yeah, they they had a they had a podium in pretty much every race apart from Baku and Monaco. So it was a solid performance from them to come back from. You know, they were clearly very heavily disadvantaged by the rule set, um, and then to come come back from that and then win a few races early doors, fight on through for the uh, for the season and take it to the last race was solid. And it was, 
although they didn't win in the end, it was a it was a good season for them because they. I mean, I was honestly, I was when we got to finish the second race in uh, in Austria. I was like, this, this, this is going to be over with three races to go. This is going to be like a Hamilton season of of, of the past. You know, we're not even going to take it to the last race. And I, just, I could just see Max just stretching out and stretching out, and then a little bit of fortune in uh, in Silverstone, and then uh, you know with that new update as well. And then they genuinely had a quick car at, at big, big stages towards the end of the season, which is just a phenomenal achievement for them. But take nothing away from the eventual champions; they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. But uh, yeah, it's uh, they're, they're going to be mightily disappointed. Despite taking home a championship, they're still going to be mightily disappointed with that. Yeah, absolutely. And Aaron, also, you know, talking about Mercedes. You know, is there anything you feel that, you know, Mercedes have really shown to, you know, just be very strong out this season? Because, you know, we've known that they are championship material, but this season they really had to, like, bite the bullet and fight for that. Yeah, I think you you can see just how much they are all racers at heart and how competitive they are. Okay, they've had it easy at certain points in this dominant era, but they they did the best job. They designed the best car. They had the best engine they had the best drivers that doesn't happen by accident that is all down to good pre-planning and getting all your ducks in a row and if you do that you can execute just almost sheer perfection but what actually has impressed me so much about mercedes this year as well as them having to dig deep they've had to battle to understand this car even though it's very similar to what they had last year, in so many ways, it's so, it's so different. The way the, the the philosophy of the car, the low rake philosophy, was interacting against a higher rake philosophy, and some of the ways they they developed this car and the tricks that they put in with, you know, maybe even the DRS opening too far or the what I called the the squatting rear suspension because of the way it drops down. It was just it was so clever. And it, it just reminds you that this is why they have won so many championships. And like last year, they had so the, the DAS system. They, they they hadn't. No one else had thought of that. They they found a solution to the problem that the drivers had brought to them. And that just tells you everything there is to know about that team. And they they're led by Lewis Hamilton, who is determined to keep winning and keep winning and keep winning. It radiates through the team. And I love their their culture, the way that they don't point the blame at one single person for them not winning or something going wrong they own it as a team and they go right how can we fix this how can we make sure this person gets the right support gets what's needed and we all be better and that they stand for the right causes as well there's just so much to like about mercedes off the track as well as on it yeah i would agree and carl just also you know they won this championship all three of all of us have got to talk about Mercedes. I feel, you know, is there anything that you also would like to add to, you know, what Mercedes have been this season? Um, a whiny little man. Sorry, a whiny massive man. I mean, I just like the, the. I just want to sort of talk about that quickly about this season, and we we talked about it quite a lot on our little Slack group about the radios and the messages being sent back to Michael Massey, and just the whining that was coming. I mean, from. Toto on the last race and throughout the season and it just but do you know what they have the Wolf and what is his name escaped me Christian Horner have both become absolute legends of the industry and have become the big names bigger than Bottas and Perez seemingly if the if the big posters were anything to go by so no I think I think Mercedes as a team have been very strong led 
ex- expertly by Toto, but I do think they they need to rein it in a bit and change their ways with the radios. But I find it really, yeah, Mercedes probably does. I'm glad Mercedes won something because I don't think Red Bull deserved the the constructors because actually I don't know why because actually Bottas wasn't as good as Perez so I'm totally talking crap there probably Red Bull should have won both there we go there we go but yeah whilst obviously still staying on the 2021 season let's you know we need there are three things that I want to you know discuss amongst the three of us driver of the season team of the season and the race of the season so Tom who is your driver of the season please Carlos Sainz. I just saw that coming, but yeah. I'll, stray, I'll stray away from the obvious. You know, look, obviously Max and Lewis drove absolutely phenomenally well, and it isn't like a, a most improved or a, oh, didn't he do well kind of one. But I just want to just put Carlos Sainz forward because everyone struggled who moved teams, and Carlos Sainz did struggle at first, but then he got to grips with it, and then he beat his 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 highly thought of teammates. So for me, Carlos Sainz gets my vote. Aaron. Uh, I'm going with the smooth operator as well. Ooh, two for Carlos Sainz. Yeah. Carl? Alas. <laughs> yeah, Sainz. I think he's just dumping up this season. A really exciting, great driver. Yeah, I mean, I can't. One, two, three, or four in there. I don't think any of those have really done anything amazing. I think they've been given amazing cards. But uh, Sainz has driven well and just been the gentleman throughout. Well, that makes it a full house then, because Carlos Sainz is also my driver of the season. How can none of us have picked Hamilton and Verstappen? I just think it was, it was a bit more like we expected them to to be at the top. And obviously, you know, they're both driven fantastically. But when you consider what Carlos Sainz has had to deal with, as you know, as a, a in the car, new team, you know, all of that. And to still come out on top of his teammate, it's a no-brainer, I think. So then, team of the season. Uh, I, it would be too obvious to say McLaren, uh, so I'm not going to say McLaren. I'd, I'd say Ferrari are probably the most improved, but I, I think you've, you've just got to go with Red Bull. They just came out with a car that could win races out of the blocks. It was a phenomenal car. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with, uh, with, with Red Bull just for the fact that they actually built a car that was capable of winning a championship for once. One vote for Red Bull. Are we going to have a full house this time around? Aaron, your team of the season, please. Oh, hang on. Back. I'm going with Williams because the, the struggles they've had the last two, three seasons, for them to have had that cash injection and then delivered with points and solid performances from both drivers and a podium I'd say fairer than that and of course uh, they lost uh, the team principal Sir Frank this year so uh, they they did him proud in his final year yeah that's certainly a good reasoning Carl your team of the season please Um, I'll take the mantle from Tom then and go with McLaren I think they uh, we're talking about teams here and they played well as a team throughout the season and that was not more shown than Italy, they they played the team game because Norris should have been one and Riccardi two, and they played that game very nicely, and it, it didn't make any difference to them as a team. So it was nice to have that, and um, I think they've just been solid throughout the year. And yes, they're a step further back than they were last year in the standings, but they, you know, they are a step further forward in total. And I think they are McLaren's back on the up, and we'll see what next year brings. Yeah, a good reasoning from the three of you there. I'm going to go with Haas. No, I'm not. Uh, 
I'm I'm actually going to agree with Aaron and say Williams really just you know actually seizing their opportunities when they came along and not throwing them away like you know we saw last season so many occasions where points were on the cards and then it was gone either through strategy or through driver error but you know this season there was obviously a couple of wobbles but at the end of the day this is a very different Williams team this season and they have um they've certainly seized their chances as they came along so Williams gets my team of the season and finally the race of the season Tom please I have an idea but you know Belgium <laughs> that wasn't a race <laughs> no I'm, I'm gonna go Brazil I think Brazil was the race of the season because of the whole weekend as well with the recovery on the sprint and then all the everything that happened uh, I, I know you were thinking I was gonna say Monza but um but no I'm gonna go Brazil Brazil there's a vote for Brazil Aaron please I was gonna say Brazil but I, I'll keep uh, I kept one up my sleeve as well, just to be different. I'm actually going to go with Jeddah, just for the sheer lunacy of like the track layout, the speed they were doing, then what happened in the race, the carnage of the stewards and the the deal or no deal. It, like that was just the most stupid, exciting, crazy. It was it was just F1 in a nutshell. It was everything you could possibly want and a bit more. Yeah, it's just a shame it's in a country that I refuse to watch. But that is true. Everything that I heard about the race as it's, as its own thing, you know, sounded like you say as F one in a nutshell. Carl, your race of the season, please. Sorry, it's going to be Abu Dhabi. It was they've turned a crap track into something slightly more exciting than crap, and they and and the way they just screwed it up at the end um, but even at the beginning it was quite good fun nothing really happened in the middle but it was just a, it was they, they made a track that shouldn't be good good um, and I think fair play on them I'm, I'm hearing Karen Tran try to take all the credit but um, I don't quite understand that but there we go yeah I do want to say I do completely agree that the changes that they made to the Abu Dhabi circuit 100% an improvement on that because you know, how often did we just have the most boring of races where, you know, there was no fighting at all, apart from when, you know, the driver in front was trying to artificially create an overtake behind him. You know, they needed to do something about Abu Dhabi and they did something. And, you know, that in itself is a bit of a shock. But uh, in terms of my race of the season, I think I sort of have to agree with Tom on this. You know, just across the race weekend, Brazil was such a spectacle you know obviously helped by the 25 passes that Lewis Hamilton made across the sprint and the actual race but you know it was just you know all right cool Lewis you're starting at the back go for it oh Lewis you're starting at the you're starting a little bit further forward but you're still basically starting at the back again go for it and then it was just you couldn't take your eyes off it because any mistake would end that championship run that they were still trying to get for. But yeah, Brazil gets my vote. And so briefly, let's have a look at 2022. We'll go from the top this time. So Aaron, Merck next season, Hamilton and Russell, what's that going to do? Hopefully bring home uh, another British world champion. Maybe not the one everyone expects because George is going to be one very excited little puppy in that car. So poor Hamilton, the old dog, is just, he must be thinking, what have I done to deserve this? I've got Verstappen chasing me everywhere. 
and now they've put one in in their own team as well. So it's going to be fun because George isn't going to lie down and take any nonsense. But I also think they're going to get on really well because they're both sensible guys. And Lewis will Lewis will get the big picture. He knows he's not got long left and he's got to hand over the baton to someone. Yeah, I would very much agree with that. Carl, Red Bull are keeping Verstappen and Perez. You know, they've made it so close in terms of, you know, the Constructors' Championship right this season. They've got the tight, they've got the Drivers' Championship this season. Next season, are they going to get them both? Are they going to get only one? Are they yeah, they're going to switch around and get Constructors and not the right, uh, the champion, purely because of what Aaron said there. They're going to have two whippersnappers in the Mercedes team. They're going to have a young whippersnapper and a legend in the Mercedes team. And, and unfortunately, it is the Red Bull can't cope with having two people of any equal standing. I don't think it works in their mind that they're going to keep pushing for Stafford. So maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I, I think, I, I, yeah, no, I, I was thinking they were going to get constructors, but maybe not. I don't know. Who knows? They, 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 it's going to be it's going to be the same old battle. I think. I don't think anything's going to change. But who knows what the cars are going to bring and what change these? You know, they could. Red Bull can drive out an absolute flunky when it comes out. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Who knows? I mean, there is obviously just an element of guessing and prediction to this, but, you know, yeah, you are right. Who knows? Tom, uh, Ferrari keeping signs in Leclerc. Do you think, you know, they can build on the momentum that Ferrari have had this season with those two drivers now and challenge even further up the field? Yeah, I think they're definitely going to be a stronger a stronger proposition, certainly challenging for race wins, to try and get that first race win since Singapore 2019 with Sebastian Vettel. Uh, I think that'll probably come next year. The, the question is going to be, uh, are, the, are the drivers going to get on next year when they're actually fighting for race wins? That's going to be the, the question. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens because they're, they're, it's going to be spicy, I think. And it's, I think you're going to see, I apologise for the cats, they're having a mad five minutes. I think it's, it's not necessarily going to be Hamilton Russell fight. It's not necessarily going to be you know the, the other fights down the field. I think this could be this could be the big ticket fight that we're going to see next year between the drivers. So looking forward to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And as long as you know they can keep the two drivers f- not amicable with each other, I think that is what's going to you know be Ferrari's strength next season. Aaron McLaren, twenty twenty two. They're keeping Norris and Ricardo. They're obviously, you know, allowed to make a couple more developments than they were allowed to over the 2020-2021 break. What do you reckon? Lando Norris will win a race next year. And that, that's it. Lando Norris will win a race. Nice and brief. A very Kimmy answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Carl, the Alpines. Um, Alonso and Ocon signed on as well. What do you reckon we're going to get from them? Because they've obviously got the win from this season with Ocon. They've got Alonso. What do you think? I, I think Alonso is going to challenge for a win or at least a few more podiums. Ocon, Ocon, I can never decide if he's any good or not. He go, he flip flops between being really good and really shit, and it depends on what, what, how the wind's blowing on that one. I think so. No, Alonso will be fighting uh, because he's got to. He's he's either got to fight or bow out, and I think he's going to go fighting. Fighting and bowing out at the same time could also be an option, but. Tom, uh, Alpha Tauri keeping Sonoda and Gasly. Do you think you know they can actually develop Sonoda this season? Then I think they'll probably be roughly where they are now. I, I think Sonoda will get better, but the car will not be a, 
a drastic step forward compared to those around it. I think you're going to see a much stronger Aston Martin. Um, you're going to see Alpine stretch away. And you never know, you might see Williams there with them as well. So I think they're going to be in that fight with with the other teams. So I, I, I say I think Sonoda can only get better. I think he, he's bookended the season very well, had a strong, a strong Bahrain and a strong Abu Dhabi. And hopefully he can carry a bit more consistency through to next season. But yeah, I think he'll be closer to Gasly. Uh, but the car will, will not be... Uh, will not be as good as it was this year, comparatively. Comparatively, yeah. Aaron, the Aston Martins are keeping Stroll and Vettel. Do you think you know we can have a stronger finish from the both of them this season? Yes, it's an important season for Aston Martin because you kind of feel like they could become the, the new Jaguar because they took over Stewart, who overperformed, and then they gave them loads of money and it all kind of went down the pan. Uh, although that team has actually won the world championship this year so because they're technically red bull so it's a big season for aston martin they've got to get it right they've got to move back up the pecking order in terms of the constructors championship and they've got a challenge for podiums where possible and scoop up the race win that will inevitably leave itself available to somebody at some point in the season. I mean, there's 23 races. There's going to be one left on the table, at least. This is when every single race next season is won by either Mercedes or Red Bull because of Aaron. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It all started here. Uh, Carl, looking at Williams, they've got Latifi and Albon is joining the team for this season. What do you think their chances are based on, you know, this new driver combination? I quite like it. I mean, I've always been a bit of an album fan, as we all know on here, uh, the times that I have been on. <laughs> I think Alvin's going to be great in that car. I generally do. The fact that he's guided Sonoda this year is going to help him. And I think he's actually going to be a grounding force. Latifi, as we said, as Aaron said even earlier, it was a steady pair of hands. And who knows if they've been concentrating on the next year's car. You know, Williams might not be as rubbish and they've had the fuel injection and they're all cost-capped and things. It could be an interesting level playing field. Yeah, you've certainly got to hope that, you know, the regulations and all the rules that have been brought in will certainly bunch up the field for next season just because we want to see that, you know, fight. You want to be able to see, you know, a team like Williams or some people might even want Alfa Romeo to win, but it's just that, you know, thing. But Tom, I've... Go all the way, let's go Haas. <laughs> Tom, I've ended up with you on Alfa Romeo completely accidentally, and we all know your feelings on them. But, you know, next season they've got Bottas and Zhu. Do you think anything, you know, is going to change in that team, despite, you know, obviously the the driver lineup changing? Do you think their fortunes can change? It's a brand new, it's a brave new world because they've got two two new drivers and hopefully if they just sack most of the uh, most of the operational team, they might actually stand a chance of doing something decent. But uh, Bottas, we all know, is great over one lap. His race craft, you know, in, in the pack is not the best. So I'm not necessarily convinced that Alfa Romeo is the right team for him. What a shock it would be if Guan Zhou is actually, you know, outperforming him in the races and uh, and it could genuinely happen. I, I, I do think that... that that Bottas, you know, he's he's an absolutely solid racer, but he's c- compared to the people that he's been up against, he's just not. He just doesn't measure up. So, in the midfield, he might thrive, and and um and I hope he does for his sake, for his mental health more than anything, to be honest, because it must have been pretty soul destroying being Hamilton's teammate for the last four or five years. So, yeah, he's uh, it's he's got to lead that team forward. I I'm, I'm willing to 
go for a clean slate for Alfa Romeo next year and see, start again, and hopefully they won't disappoint me massively like they have done for the last few years. Yeah, fingers crossed. Aaron, that's left you with the Haas team. They're keeping Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin. I feel like one of those was guaranteed to stick around anyway just because of the politics within the team. But, you know, they had, to put it bluntly, a terrible season this season. Is 2022 going to be better? Uh, It's really difficult to say because you've got an, an owner in Gene Haas who isn't even interested enough to turn up to the last race and has his head photoshopped onto the team photo. And then you've got Daddy Mazepin. I never knew that. That's brilliant. (laughs) You've got Gunther Steiner's body next to Gunther Steiner and then Gene Haas's face photoshopped onto Gunther Steiner's body. It's just... What? (laughs) Yeah. It's just the most absurd thing you've ever seen. Excuse me while I Google that. Yes, do it. It's worth a look. I'm just doing uh, it for you now, Carl. <laughs> the, the whole political situation in terms of Daddy Mazepin and his finances, it might actually do them some good if he took, took over the team full-time. Although I just worry that he'll get that bearded bloke involved and no one wants that. Yeah, absolutely not. Never want well, to see Santa. a certain story involved in F1 again. Santa. But anyway, thank you very much for your um, views on the 2021 season and some, albeit short, predictions for 2022. Time sort of ran away from us whilst we were doing this. But, you know, we've got guests on from the uh, Monkey Seat podcast and Aaron from the Five Red Lights podcast. We give an opportunity to promo. So first of all, let's start with the two of you from the Monkey Seat podcast. Whichever one wants to take it, give us a little, you know promotion of yourselves well uh, as you see me and carl have a lot of a lot of back and forth and a lot of banter we're on the monkey seat at monkey seat pod on the socials monkey seat pod i don't know what you're on about tom um shut up uh so we're 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 a bit more really yeah we're 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 a bit more argumentative husband and wife couple uh and uh and yeah a lot of a a few a few more bad words than on this podcast so uh come and come and give us a listen if you want a bit more laid back and uh less professional podcasting should we say less professional aaron uh the five red lights podcast uh you can find me on youtube on most podcast platforms uh so just search uh five the the number five uh red lights on youtube uh i do some predictions pre-race some race recaps and i will be doing my second fairly rudimentary analysis of overtaking um using microsoft paint (laughs) as my tool of choice and you can also find me on Twitter at five underscore red underscore lights on the Twitter sphere, which has not been so toxic for me yet. Yeah, certainly a lot of uh, commentary on the toxicity of certain social media platforms across this season. But if you'd like to find me on any of the social medias, it's usually at Rubes, R-U-U-B-E-Z. And I'm on here most of the time. So you already know where I am. But anyway, uh, that has been the season review of the 2021 Formula One championship season. Grid Talk is available on Amazon, as well as YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Verbal, Omni Studio and Pocket Casts. Just search F1 Grid Talk. There is a huge back catalogue of shows with previews and reactions to qualifying and race results. Basically, because there's no more content coming this year, there's plenty to keep you occupied until we return next year. 
Uh, we are on Reddit, search for the subreddit F1 Grid Talk, and we are also on Patreon, where you can support us uh, to get, you know, mics, lights, and better and better recording equipment for our panellists. You can get your hands on some official Grid Talk merchandise on f1chronicle.com forward slash store, and also make sure you subscribe to be the first to know when each new episode is released. We'll be back in the new year with plenty of more F1 content. Thank you very much for joining me, guys. Cheers. Thanks for having me. See you next year. Happy Christmas and Happy New Year. Yeah, and thank you very much for listening to those of you who have, and goodbye. <laughs>